In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt. And nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. What's up, everybody? How's everything going? Welcome to this week's recap and rant. Filled, absolutely filled with snow goose hunting because I'm down here in northeast Arkansas uh, guiding for Premier Flight Outfitters. If anybody would like to get on some uh, spring snow goose action, get a hold of Dean there at Premier Flight or you can get a hold of me. And uh, we do have some midweek openings. Uh, most of the weekends are filling up. Or if they're not filled up, they're filling up fast. Um, there is some up-in-the-air stuff because I'm still in Arkansas, but for this coming weekend, who knows? It sounds like we'll be in Missouri somewhere, but you never can tell. It's all weather-dependent. Uh, winter storm could come in, push these birds back south. Who knows? So kind of stay up to date. Um, if you aren't already, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Full Scale Outdoors, uh, Snapchat, Dale Luganville, and, you know, that's one way to keep tabs on it, or just call Dean with Premier Flight. Anyways, so getting on with it, we had a really good weekend. I saw something I have never seen before or ever really heard of before. So I'll set the scene. We get out, new clients, we get to the field. They've never snow goose hunted before. Um, it was a really good group of guys. Um, they brought their kids out. I think they're from Michigan and I think uh, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, um, so they're trying to come up with a different hunting trip to do. And they had, the, the kids had brought up all sorts of ideas like Alaska, you know, for 20 grand. And the dad's like, no, no, we're not doing that. 
Um, but they kept going through different scenarios, and then uh, they're watching some YouTube videos of snow goose hunting. They're like, well, what about this? And then they looked in and were like, all right, well, that's doable. So that's how that's what brought them here to Arkansas for the spring snow goose hunt, a spring conservation order, light goose conservation order. Um, so not really knowing what to expect. They must have done some research because they had all their whites on. Um, everybody had whites. They had, this was kind of funny. They, they came prepared with like their shell boxes and like a giant Plano tackle box that they had painted white. So, I mean, they knew like they got everything white. So that part was cool. Although I'm pretty sure the next time they do it, if they do it again, they're going to leave that tackle box back at the truck because it's pretty heavy. And when you have to slodge through the mud of the fields down here, um, it's not, or, or you could put the shoulder strap on it. If they if they somehow rigged up a shoulder strap on it, that would have worked pretty good. Um, so, anyways, trying to set the scene here. Um, they didn't know what to expect. You know, they're watching YouTube videos, which for a guide is always like, oh, great. You know, because you know nobody shows the slow days, the majority days of a snow goose hunt on YouTube, right? You just see the giant tornadoes and the rainouts, and and that's the stuff that gets us all fired up. And uh, so I'm like, oh no, but uh, you know, tried to talk to them and let them know that that's not really, you know, it is a possibility. It's always a possibility, but it's not something that's going to happen every day. They're uh, relatively rare, actually, you know, even within any season. Last year was terrible, but this year is with the Juvies, it's still, you know, it's it just doesn't happen all the time. It's pretty special when it does happen. So we're set up, and uh, I feel like I've done a good job in communicating what, you know, real expectations and then giving them, you know, what we, you know, could have good hopes. You know, it's going to be a good day if like this happens, and you know, got got to a really good, realistic baseline. And then uh, some birds can. We had a really good mixed flock come in of snows and specks, and there was just no way of really shooting into them without taking some specs out with them. I mean, they were just so tightly bunched up, so we kind of we let them pass. But they've been setting. So the specs have been landing in this field, like, for weeks. Like, almost every day I've hunted it, they've landed behind the spread a couple hundred yards, and uh, that seems to be where they want to be, which isn't the worst thing in the world because you got live decoys out there. They're not snows, but it just shows activity in the field. So it kind of makes the spread look a little more realistic. And now we actually have some snow geese mixed in with them as well. So that's good. And as the morning uh, progresses, more and more uh, birds, specks, and snows kind of join that flock, and it gets it's starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It was probably around, when it first hit the ground, I would say, oh, I don't know, 150 birds maybe, something like that, so nothing crazy. Um, but for these guys who haven't done a ton of hunting, now one of the guys did do um, some goose hunting, so he's somewhat familiar with that, but the rest of the guys pretty new to it. And that probably seemed like a big flock to them, and but it just kept growing, kept growing, 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 getting bigger and bigger, bigger. I'm like, all right, we should start getting some good action on this. And then over the trees to the, get my bearings here. South going north, east. <laughs> These big flocks started coming up over the trees and putting down. Not not with that original flock that put down, but kind of starting their own new feed, um, quite a way all the way on the other end of this field, but in our fields, and I'm talking 
like a steady stream of these. Like it's 3,000, 5,000, 10, 12, 18, 22. I mean, it's just getting bigger and bigger, 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 bigger. It is filling up this field. And now the two flocks are kind of joining together. And pretty soon, I would say a strong three quarters of this huge field were end to end geese. And I'm like, all right, well, this is, <laughs> this could get interesting. And after telling these guys that getting under those big spins and getting, you know, like you just don't, this just doesn't happen every day. Here we have it, but they didn't really form a spin. Like they came up and over those trees and they put it right back down. Had they done a big spin, we would have been under some good birds. We would have been getting some good shoots. So I was telling them like, we're just going to, we're going to hold tight. We're going to hope because a lot of times snow geese, they just get up stretch your wings, spin, and put back down, we should get some good spin-off flocks. And, you know, if this happens, prepare yourself. You don't have to load up, cover up, because, you know, there's so many geese that the the sound of our shots isn't going to scare everything away. The the ones way on the other end of the field, with their, you can't hear shotgun shots through, like, their own chattering. Like, they're just so loud. But they weren't really doing that. They were just walking. And I'm, and I'm watching them. I have my binoculars out there, and I'm like, they're – actually coming at us they're walking towards us and they're on the road like there's this little field road and there's another field over there and they're in that one too and this whole horde of snow geese are like encroaching upon us they're walking I'm like this is insane i have never seen anything like this i'm like they're gonna walk right through our decoys and i'm like which is fine because this is like when you go to jump shoot and you and you sneak up on a big flock of geese like this you know that's you hope they'll get really close jump up shoot and there's just chaos and there's birds falling everywhere but they're coming to us we're not having to sneak them like they're sneaking in on us I'm like this is going to get ridiculous and we had a bunch of singles that we could have shot and then even some smaller flocks but we didn't want to blow out the whole field for just a couple birds you know at this point we're all in agreement like all right let's hold out let's let's try to get the big payoff here and so that's what we're doing. And as they get close, even walking, they do what snow goose do and avoid the decoys. Like they got right to the edge of our decoys and started like walking around it. So off to the right of where we were sitting, the last decoy is probably uh, 25, 30 yards, something like that. And then, of course, they go out in front of us and they had them spread out fairly wide. So 40, 50 yards, you know, maybe even 60 in some of those and the outlying areas, and so they're getting right to the edge of those decoys and just kind of flowing around it, and they're wrapping around behind us too um, as I had some decoys back there, and again, they're hitting that that line of decoys, and then they're like, they couldn't really go around it, so they started flying. They started like hopping over, but not really coming straight over us, and again, like little bits, you know, little flocks. They didn't want to, you know, I'm trying to get this whole horde right in front of us so we can smash him and i'm watching these birds and i can see behind us and their heads are and they're getting real nervous and i start thinking this could all go terribly wrong if we don't get an opportunity there's a likelihood these birds will just go around us fly around us and this whole show will will have been for nothing so i kind of make the decision to take the shot that we have so the people that we have on the right i think we had seven people so eight all together including me the far right had birds on the ground like i said about 25 30 yards very doable 
and then it wrapped out around. So the, us in the middle and the ones on the left had a, had a longer shot, you know, over 40, 50, 60. But I was like, well, they're so densely packed, we should still get something. So I said, all right, these birds are getting ready to boogie out of here um, on the count of three. And I kind of had to play telephone because I didn't want to yell it give our position away even more so i'm like tell the guys in the end i want to count to three and then i want them to shoot straight to the right at their three o'clock position and then everybody else shoot your lane and then we're just gonna you know and then load up as fast as you can because we'll probably get a big spin they're gonna lift up and the other birds aren't gonna know what's gonna happen and they're gonna mix around and blah 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 blah. so i do it one two three boom 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 we unload on these birds and uh after all, they get up, of course, and they split, and all there's two, and they just go to the far end of the field, like straight away from us, and like two separate batches, and they put right back down. I was like, all right, well, that's good. That's what we wanted. And I'm looking around, and there was only like two stone-dead birds in the field, and the rest were like walking away, and they're cripples. I'm like, oh, man. I didn't want, I, you know, I wanted to get up and get them right away before they got too far, but I didn't want to spook our birds out of the field, so I'm hoping to get some more action off of those birds. So we do get, a, I think, a small flock or a double or something like that that comes over and we shoot at we miss. And I was happy to know that it didn't really affect the birds on the ground. They didn't really they didn't really fly. They, the, the shots, I'm like, all right, well, that's good. So now time goes by, and these geese, our cripples, are like, they're getting really far away. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to go start rounding these things up. So I grab my gun, put a bunch of shells in my pocket, and start trudging through the mud halfway across these fields. I have to chase after the one. He sees me, takes off running. I run after him. I finally get close enough to ground pound him, put him down, um, set him down so I can come back and get him later. I'm going after the yellow ones. I get the yellow ones. I catch that. I dispatch that one. There's another one close to that road. I get over there. Uh, dispatch that so I got two in the road I got one back in the field behind me there's two more that are running the opposite direction in this other field so I hop back over there and I'm trying to catch up to them and they are walking very briskly away from me they go in this flooded part of the field swim across it I'm like I don't want them to get over that ditch because these big drainage ditches and so I'm I take a couple long shots at them on the ground I hit them but not enough to put them down and so they just keep going sure as shit they make it over that drainage ditch I'm already sweating at this point. I mean, I'm, I've already probably walked a mile easy through the mud. And so now they're on this other side. I'm like, crap, can I cross right here? And then I'm able to get right to the creek edge, and then I put two shots on them, and they're both dead right where they lay. I'm like, all right, at least they can't go any further. But now i got to figure out how to get this other field. It turns out I have to walk all the way down that field road to where there's a, a crossing into that field or a field entrance, which is a good quarter if not a half mile down this field so i do that and then i have to come back that same distance get the birds go back again come back around so i do all that i'm walking up and uh now you see the clients there um the two of them are going on the field because they had some birds that went out straight in front of us and I'm, i'm walking back and there's a hawk in the middle of the road he's on one of my birds already i'm like oh my god you gotta be kidding me so i'm speed up a little bit and I get up there scare the hawk away not too much damage is done he started to eat at one of the breasts a little bit and then so I pick them up I keep walking and I'll, the small flock comes over I hear, boom, 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 and I see another bird drop out of the sky I'm like all right they got another one and then I go back and I go to get the first bird that I got and 
half and that's well the guys uh actually at first i walked up to the group and dropped the birds off and got the stories of what was going on and like yeah i checked that one over there but a hawk got to it i don't know if we still want it or if we can salvage it or not i'm like "Eh, that's that's probably there's probably still some good meat on it so i walked back over there sure enough this hawk that was on it had like one of the breasts was like completely destroyed already but the other one hadn't been touched so there's still and the legs so there's still good meat there excuse me so Get everything back. The guys come back from the far end of the field. They didn't, they didn't find anything. We do our total tally, and I think we had 10 birds, and then that 11th one that they dropped. Um, so I would have liked a lot more, obviously, uh, but I was happy with 10 or satisfied with 10, would say. So we uh, sit, we take a couple more shots and uh, don't hit anything, and then uh, time to take a break. And then our, our birds just kept moving north, just kind of on their own volition. They just would pick up and... and these little tiny hops in north, and they kept getting farther and farther away from us. So any other birds that came around, like, completely ignored us and went straight to them. So that didn't work out very well for us. Take a quick break, come back, and we hunt the afternoon. And it's relatively slow. I don't remember if we had any. I feel like we probably shot a couple times, but missed at some higher, low percentage shots. And then evening rolled around, and that last half hour started seeing, starting to get some good looks. And the last few minutes of legal light, here comes a, a decent little flock, and they're setting up nice, and they come right over top of us. We call a shot. Boom, 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 boom. I see, I see some birds dropping. I didn't get a good count, and then I was only able to find, like, two. And I was like, man, I thought we dropped more than that. And I kind of looked around. And it was getting dark, and I'm like, ah, oh, this looks like it's it. Huh. Can't believe we only got two out of that. So it was like a good dozen birds right on, right on top of us. Um, so we ended the day with, got to think now, 13, I believe. Yes, I believe it was 13. And so now next day comes up and we're swapping fields because Bryce, our other guide, he was running our pit field. Um, and I think they shot a couple birds, but they didn't, I mean, it was nothing like the insane show that we had. And I was trying to tell these guys, like, you witnessed a once in a lifetime event. Like I I mean it's one thing to have a bunch of geese go in your field. It's the one thing to have, you know, huge flocks cover you and spin. That's what you hope for. But I have never seen a field load up like that and then have a horde of geese march up to you. Like that was just incredible. I mean that even if we didn't pull the trigger, it was worth the price of admission for that. Like that was just that was super cool. That's one of those times you wish you had a really good telephoto lens because you could have taken some killer pictures. They were so close. Um, but then we so we, we switched fields. They went to that field, and we went to uh, the pit field for the next day. And the day starts out, and that's pretty slow. I mean, we we uh, have a couple singles in that that we whiffed on. We do end up finally killing one mid-morning. And then the rest of the day is pretty, it's pretty quiet. And, uh, you know, we hunted all day. I think we took a co- another couple of pot shots. Um, nothing going. That magic hour, last little bit of time, nothing was really moving. So that was that. End of the hunt. Uh, but we, when we did take our break, we did clean up all the geese. That was a really good uh, idea they had. And uh, so at least that part was done and uh, got sent them on their way. I mean, I had a really good time with these guys. They were great. Uh, great conversations, really good group of dudes. Hopefully they do it again. They're talking about maybe doing South Dakota. Um, I don't know if it was this year or still, or maybe just next year doing South Dakota. Um, but so that was 
that was pretty great. And that's one of the great things I like about um, this guy is just meeting different people all the time. And um, it's just cool. You know, you exchange numbers. It's just, it's more, you know, you had a, there's a contact you didn't have before and your network just expands and it's uh it's a pretty cool thing. Um, I really, honestly, I don't want to knock on wood here, but I haven't really had a, like a bad client experience yet. I'm sure it's going to happen eventually, but um, so far it's been on the up and up. Now Bryce's crew that was in the field we were in the day before, those birds were all still there in the general area, and they actually did pretty good. They shot a bunch. Um, I can't remember what their total was. They shot a bunch in the decoys, and then they actually went, and when the birds moved off and, and did the field hopping thing like they did to us, they went after them, and they, uh, they did some jump shooting, and they had a pretty epic day. Got some bands and all sorts of cool shit. So I want to check that out. Uh, I think Premier Flight put some uh, pictures up on their website. So that was pretty cool. So that was our, that was my hunting. You know, during the week we had to do decoy work and tear up and sit down. We didn't have uh, clients. We hunted um, a couple times just myself. You know, we scratched out a couple every day, nothing major. Um, even this morning I went out, shot one. Went out yesterday morning, shot two. Um, so nothing crazy, but, um, you know, I'm up here. Might as well, right? It's pretty fun. Uh, back home in Minnesota, the pre-fishing continues. There was the Frankie's uh, State Panfish Tournament on this past Sunday, and it was nice to see the Minnesota Made Outdoors members uh, had a pretty good showing there. Had two in the top five and uh, one, I think, top ten. So three, was it three in the top ten? I don't know, I'd probably have to look at that, but that's so Congratulations, good job, guys. Proud of you for that. And then now the pre-fishing continues for our final event this upcoming Sunday, which I will not be a part of. Um, so I'll be down here guiding, which there was a few days ago we weren't sure what we we're going to do, if we we're going to move into Missouri, if one of the other guys is going to come up here and cover the Arkansas hunt, and then maybe there was some downtime. There was an outside chance that I was going to get to head back to Minnesota and actually fish that last tournament, which would have been great. But really awkward at the same time because I, I already have a sub for that. And he, he's a great angler, and I'm super glad that he, he agreed to do this. And he's so pumped up. Like, he's so pump up, pumped up to fish this tournament. And he's been putting in a ton of time scouting and pre-fishing. And it would have been really weird if I came back and be like, hey, thanks for all your hard work, but uh, I, I'm going to fish it. I don't need you now. You know, like, that would be – but yet what, it would also be weird – to be home and then sit on the sideline. You know, like, know what I mean? Like that would have just been like, it would have been a really awkward situation, um, but it's not going to happen anyway, so we don't have to worry about it, which is probably for the best. So hopefully they do good. I'm pulling for them. I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be nervous from states away come Sunday. Uh, better believe I'll be tuning into that Facebook Live to see to see how it turns out. I'm sure I'll be texting Joel too to get some updates. Maybe I won't. I, that might make it worse. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm gonna be a nervous wreck. I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be intense. But we are seven points back from first place uh, for the team of the year. We're in second place. Um, so it could happen. This lake's gonna have some big bags in it. I do think it's gonna be difficult. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that don't weigh full bags. It's a, it's a small lake. Fish is pretty small. And uh, in my limited experience in pre-fishing it, the, the bite can be pretty finicky. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I could be totally wrong. Everybody can come in with awesome bags. 
But whoever wins it, it's going to be a really impressive bag. I'm guessing well over 10 pounds because um, there's some really good fish in there, good crappies and good bluegills if you can get on them. Uh, so it's they're basin they're basin fish. So it's it's hard to it's hard to get a whole school yourself. There's going to be some shoulder to shoulder fishing out there for sure. So looking forward to that. If uh, if you're interested, find Minnesota Made Outdoors on Facebook and uh, follow them so that you can get uh, see when they go live and watch that. All right, on to my rant. I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about um, this week actually until I opened up jolly old Facebook this morning and a veritable dumpster fire started, it could be sharded, I guess, on the Ice Fishing Minnesota Facebook page. Um, just ridiculous. I, I, it's just, I'm kind of, I'm super frustrated and I, I'm more emotionally vested in this than I care to admit, but I'm going to read, there was an article in the NPR News, and I'm just going to, I'm going to read this article. And then I'm going to go through some of the comments that followed. After hellish ice fishing season, Minnesota resorts say they need help. All right, before I get into this, I'll just give everybody my kind of brief synopsis of what happened up there. For people that aren't familiar with Minnesota, you know, obviously it's ice fishing is huge up there, huge industry. And uh, northern Minnesota, we had a ton of snow. We got a little bit of ice and we got a ton of snow really early, which puts weight on that ice brings up water you get this slush it's and then it also insulates so ice doesn't form really well it's a perfect storm it's a perfect shit storm for getting bad lake conditions for for ice fishing and it really there's a lot of resorts that just had to kind of close up shop early this year because nobody was getting out they couldn't plow their plows are raking and blah 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 so um they're hurting financially. And these small towns up there that depend on this revenue stream, they just didn't get it this year. And they, you know, went other places. Further north, Lake of the Woods seemed to be doing okay. And Red Lake got, well, even Red Lake got shut down for a little bit there too. So um, it, was, it was a bad winter for ice fishing for sure. So we'll go into this article. It's been a brute it's been a brutal ice fishing season across much of northern Minnesota. The snow came too early and too heavy. Ice is still thin on the lakes from Bemidji to Duluth, buried under layers of slush and snow. The conditions made it almost impossible to use ice fishing houses and nearly shut down the area's winter fishing. Lake Winnebagashish, one of Minnesota's premier walleye fisheries, seemed to get the worst of it. The lake is usually covered in ice fishing houses this time of year, but on the recent morning Rick Leonhart, sorry if I messed that up, Rick, squinted out his truck window at a nearly empty expanse of blowing snow. Welcome, he said, to our frozen wasteland. Leonhart and his wife, Kim, owned High Banks Resort on the south shore of Winnebagoshish. Most years, you know, I'm going to call this Winnie from now on. That's what we all call it, Big Winnie. I ain't saying that name every time it comes up in this article. <laughs> Most years, he plows at least 20 miles of ice road and charges hundreds of anglers an ice fishing fee to park their ice houses for 10 weeks. He's the caretaker of what's typically a small ice house city. Insert, if you have never been ice fishing in Minnesota or you never visited Minnesota in the winter, uh, if you're coming from these southern states, I highly recommend it because literally there are these cities that pop up on the ice. And it looks like a small town out in the country at night with all the lights and the shacks and there's roads. That go. It's pretty It's pretty cool. It's a pretty uh, interesting thing. If you've ever watched um, 
grumpy old man, you, that gives you a pretty good idea. It's it's a lot like that. So this year, however, there are just a few dozen ice houses. His road is only three miles long, and every inch of it was hard won. The ice is one third its normal thickness. Rick had to use a light weight plow which broke down in all the slush and snow he snapped front axles six different times each by the time he got the ice road open late last week not late late last week (laughs) i'll repeat that there were only two weekends left of the walleye season he said a lot of anglers had already given up on winnie taking their houses to better ices on ices better ice on lake of the woods or devil's lake in north dakota Some people in the cities might look at this and think, man, it's just beautiful up here, all this open snow without people. And he said, I look at it and I see hell frozen over. I see the money we're all losing. Leonards call this season a natural disaster, and they say the state should help the tourism industry get through it. Kim gathered a group of 40 business owners late last month to beg lawmakers for a disaster relief funding. Resort owners aren't the only ones hurting, she said. The local porta potty supplier is down 30% this winter because so many ice fishing festivals have been canceled. The bait shops aren't making sales. Even local tire repair shops have seen a dip in business because the ice houses and wheels don't get punctures and if they never leave the yard. They all need help, she said, just to have enough money to open their doors in the spring. If this was a flood, people assumed the government would help. She said this was, this was as bad as a flood for us. Lawmakers have listened. State Senator Justin Eichhorn of uh, Republican of Grand Rapids and, and Representative uh, John Purcell, DFL Bemidji, will introduce a bill. Oh, look at that. We have a bipartisan bill. That's something to note. We'll introduce a bill this session establishing a low-interest loan program for the affected businesses. Purcell said he'll finish drafting the bill sometime this week. He's hoping to set aside a few million dollars to help roughly 100 businesses across five Minnesota counties where ice conditions were the worst, from Beltrami County to St. Louis County. It's not a budget year, so he said it will take strong support to pass the bill, and he might have to change some minds. The government often helps farmers during floods or drought, but funding resorts during a bad year might appear frivolous to some. Purcell doesn't think it is. Last time I checked, tourism was a $14 billion industry in Minnesota, he said, and we have to protect it. He pointed out that this happened before. Resorts on Mille Lacs Lake received state low-interest loans a few years ago to carry them through a bad season. He's basing his legislation on that program. Businesses, own, businesses owners will have to prove they lost at least 10% of their income in order to qualify, which will not be difficult in that five-county area. In a normal year, the Leonards make as much money in the 10-week walleye ice fishing season as they do in the five months of summer business. Kim estimates they've lost $150,000 so far this winter. Bill Charlton runs Geiger's Trails and Resorts on Bowstring Lake, a few miles east of Lake Winnie. He wasn't able to plow his ice road at all. The winter season was a total loss, which puts him $75,000 in the hole. He said he needs a government loan just to open this summer. I need 25000 just to open my doors, he said, but I'd take 100 if I could get it. On nearby Leech Lake, bait shop owner Jack Shriver says he needs $10,000 he doesn't have just to stock minnows in the spring. Even if the funding comes through, it might not be as helpful as originally hoped. Unless the governor declares an official state of emergency, the money won't come through until well into the summer season, Purcell said, months after it's most needed. So there you go. Give you a little synopsis. Now, on to... Oh, these wonderful comments. I'm just going to, I won't say any names, but I'll just read some of the comments. Um, so going off that article, let's let's just reiterate um, 
They're, they're not looking for handouts. We're talking about a low interest loan here. Those get paid back. So th that money comes back to the state, right? This isn't like some kind of welfare system where the money goes out and it's just gone and the people take advantage of it and I'm on board with all that, right? right this is a loan system to help an entire region, an entire industry, entire marketplace. So here we go. <sighs> sure makes it sound like no one bothered to save money for down the years during the boom years. Mm -hmm. Feel bad for these folks, but when you rely on public resource for your income, you should realize there will be ups and downs. When times are good, save for when they're not. I'm having a down year. Maybe they could send me some money. So can concrete guys get some help for the bad years? What the fuck? Wish I could make shitty business decisions and then go ask the government to help me. Damn joke. Nothing is ever guaranteed. Life is a bitch. Join the club. Uh, I don't know that the government should step in. There's many days, sometimes weeks, time during summer, dirt crews can't work. I do feel sorry for their suffering, but to call it a natural disaster is a bit much. <sighs> So, yeah, it's uh, blah, blah, blah. We all suffer across the whole Midwest. We had it bad last year. Nobody's asked for help. Get the fuck out. I'm just absolutely blown away. And forgive me if I go on a giant keep your effing carp type of rant here. Um, for one, everybody in, I shouldn't say everybody, but the vast majority of people commenting on this thread are assuming this is just like free money. They're just giving it away. And nobody's helping me. Nobody's helping make me pass pay my bills. Why? Why should they get any help? Like this. And then if you say anything, if you dare, if you dare comment and try to see the bigger picture, or explain the nuance of what's going on up there, you get called a Bernie supporter or a communist or a socialist. It's like it doesn't even fucking make sense. We're not talking about socialism here. We're talking about tax dollars going to help the industry you're gonna have lost sales you're gonna have license sales the people might not have bought licenses that this winter fishing licenses so you're not gonna have some of that revenue all the stuff they're gonna buy at the bait shops the tackle that gets taxed you know in the hunting you got the robertson Pittman act but that's the hunting stuff but there's actually dingle johnson act which is the same thing for fishing stuff the taxes on fishing items goes in back into the resource. I mean, just I fail to see why anybody who enjoys the outdoors would be against trying to help these resorts. And it's not just the resorts. That's what it says in the article. This goes down to the tire shops, the gas stations, the local motels, the grocery store, everything, all the way up those roads, from the Twin Cities all the way up 169, I-35, all of it is going to see, well, I mean, I guess I should say some people went farther than that. So maybe there's still some gas being sold, still some food being sold. I should I should moderate that. Um, but some people may have just not made you know, because they, um, sorry, my brain's going everywhere. So they went past these areas into better, like Devil's Lake or uh, Lake of the Woods. But I'm guessing there's a lot of people that just left that ice house parked in the yard and didn't spend any money to go anywhere. So that's 
just not helping. It's not putting money back in the resource. That's just that's just money lost. And what happens if these these tough guys on here that just want these? All right, you made a bad business decision. Sucks to be you. Maybe when it's good, you should save. Oh yeah. What about a different kind of disaster? What about a tornado? If you buy, maybe you shouldn't be able to buy a house unless you can buy two houses. How about that? Because you, I mean, it's just fiscally irresponsible if you can't build your own house after a tornado comes through. Why should the government have to step in? It's ridiculous, and we're not even talking about that. That's to, to, somebody accused me of like comparing apples to oranges. I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right because we're talking about a loan. We're talking about money that comes back, not talking about disaster area. Because he was like, oh, well, they get insurance for my house. No, there's no bad winter insurance for a resort. We're not talking about insurance money. We're talking about a low interest loan that gets fucking paid back. Not a natural disaster where it's just money. It's just money goes to rebuild the town. I mean, and, and I'm on board for that too. I mean, let's not lie to ourselves. I don't care where you fall in the political spectrum. If you're the hard right stance where you're like, I don't I don't like all these social programs. I don't want to be a communist. I don't want to be a socialist. I hate to break it to you, pal. If you went to public school, you're part of a social system. If you drive on public roads, you're part of a social system. Other people's tax money is going to pay for your good way of life, for all the creature comforts that you want, down to the electric that you burn, the gas in your car. Everything is subsidized on a government level. So don't fucking talk to me about how you're not are not a socialist. Every single person in America, unless you are living off the land 100%, is in some way, shape, or form directly benefiting from some social program. So fuck off. That's not what we're talking about. I hate that knee-jerk reaction to shit like that. It's like, and that's not even, just my mind, you can probably hear my mind wanting to fucking blow up because these fishermen are bitching about something that is going to keep an area open. And the most egregious ones are the ones that are literally happy about it because there's less pressure on the lakes. They get it all to themselves. They can walk out with their portables, blah, 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 blah. Oh, wouldn't that be fucking nice? Well, why do you get... Let's just bring back what we talked about before, the socialism aspect of it. Why do you get to use that lake for free when my tax dollars and part of my money for my license sales are going to uh, stock that lake? Why why do you get that all to yourself? You know, and it's go buy your own damn lake. If you want to be a complete capitalist in uh, America, fuck yeah, go buy your own goddamn lake. And if you can't afford to buy your own lake, well, that's not my problem. It's not my problem, is it? I mean, you can't. They're picking and choosing. And I swear to God, Minnesota anglers are the fucking worst when it comes to that. And these are the same people. I see the same names on these things that bitch nonstop about everything. The limits are too high. The limits are too low. Slot, slot, fish slots are stupid. They should be. Able to, I should be able to keep whatever I want. That's what. What am I paying? That's what my licenses are for. I get to do whatever the fuck I want. I get to do this. I get to do that. They're doing this wrong. They don't think the DNR can do anything fucking right. The DNR is the enemy. They just want to go free willy nilly and everything. But God forbid anybody else sharing that fucking resource, they just get fucking greedy. Oh, you gotta stay in your own lake. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's just. It's fucking absurd. Like I just I can't I can't wrap my mind around the fact that these people are either they either can't comprehend the big picture and the nuance of what's going on with this this bad winter in a in a region of this state or they're just too fucking lazy to even think about it for a second. For one, I would say a strong 85% and I'm being 
uh, I'm being nice with 85%. I guarantee you didn't even read this article because most of the things they're saying handouts, handouts, handouts. Why should I have to pay this? Why should I have to pay that? It's a fucking loan. It's not going to affect you. You're going to wake up. They could pass this bill. You're going to wake up tomorrow. All you people that are opposed to this, you will wake up the next fucking day and your life will not be changed one bit. Not one fucking bit. Your, your life will, have, will not be negatively affected one bit. But it just might, however, in the long run, benefit you. Because if these whole areas shut down, sure, there'll be less pressure on those lakes. But then you're going to be bitching that there's no access to get on the lake. And you'll probably say, I think the DNR should plow roads off public access. I mean, what am I buying a license for? The same fucking people will say shit like that. Drives me insane. Where is your empathy? Bottom line, how about just being a good person? You think getting on these, and I know it's the internet, whatever, but these people on there puffing their chest, acting the tough guy, being all self-righteous about, well, I guess that's welcome to small business. Guess you should have made better business decisions. Fuck off. Dude, it's unbelievable. Do you feel good? Do you feel good about yourself when you do that? You sit there on your phone, I go back drinking your fucking coffee. Yeah, I told those guys, fuck those resorts. No, it makes you look like a douchebag to everybody else in the fucking world. Sportsman. I tell you, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I just... So, there it is. There's my rant. Um, I wish I'd said uh, venting made me feel better, but it doesn't. Um, just irritates the shit out of me. So, I'll be following that story. See where that goes. Probably nowhere, but yeah, there it is. Good God. Now I'm all fired up. Now what am I going to go do? i go take it on some geese. That's what I'll go do. <laughs> Poor geese. Aw. Actually, I think I'm going to I gotta run into town. I'm going to edit this and upload this podcast. Probably get it out. I'm recording this on uh, Tuesday. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out right away. So I'll go check out a coffee shop and uh, Wi-Fi because I don't have any out here in the sticks where I'm at. And I think I might hit the grocery store for a couple uh, items. Might make myself a nice snow goose meal tonight. Sounds good. I haven't done that yet since I've been down here. And I'm due for a good meal. I can only eat so many frozen pizzas and gas station burritos before your uh, bowels doth protest. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, follow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Follow uh, Full Scale Outdoors on all social media platforms and Minnesota Made Outdoors as well. Uh, so you can uh, keep tabs on what's coming up this Sunday for the last event of the Minnesota Made Outdoors Panfish Tournament Series. Uh, what else do I got for you? We got do have some midweek openings uh, if anybody wants to get on some snow goose hunts. So get a hold of me with that as well, and uh, we can and we'll talk and we'll chit chat. So that's it. There we go. Thanks for listening to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Whatever your passions are, pursue them full scale. In wild country. Rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration, presented by Battery Tender, every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.